Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Welcome, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? It's I'm doing great. I mean, the Oilers went into Los Angeles, where they always lose. They've lost 15 of the last 16, right? Mm-hmm. And they won. So that's uh, yeah. They really defied the odds. You know, they just they L.A. I just, I just think they always get horrible refereeing in Los Angeles. All it's oh, the worst place for getting oh, a call in the NHL is LA. I don't know why that is, but that's the case. That's been for the Oilers for 15 years, easy, maybe 40. And until the Oilers <laughs> kind of heated that game up, too, Bruce, that was a pretty, pretty rancid game. But the Oilers did come on, mm-hmm. um, and they got the they got the four two win. So. Uh, it was really kind of a super boring game, but uh, good for the Oilers. They outshot, in terms of grade eight chances, Bruce, it was 13 to eight, eight for the Oilers. So it was, you know, they were the, clearly the better team. They might have found a way to lose it, but they didn't. And they, <coughs> they found a way to win it. And shots on net were 31-23, including 12-4 in the third period, almost all of which featured the Oilers leading by one goal. So they weren't merely sitting on the lead and preventing shots, but they were actually getting stuff going on in L.A. zone to, to generate 12 shots. So they, I didn't like how quickly the lead melted from 3 nothing to 3-2, but from 3-2 till the end, the Oilers played, I thought, a real sound game. Yeah, they only gave up, well, after the, top, after the second L.A. goal, early in the third period, uh, First minute. Uh, 49 seconds in it. They only gave up one more grade A chance the whole third period, according to our count. So that's pretty good defensive hockey. Yeah, it wasn't, didn't seem like it was in doubt, but you never know. So we're going to do our um, two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast, Bruce. And we're going to finish off with a trade deadline talk because that's tomorrow. And um, today, so, counting the trade, actual trade made tonight. So yeah, it already, the owners might have made their one and only move. So we'll talk about that. Bruce, what is your good thing? Yeah, uh, do, do, do. my good thing is, uh, well, I, I got to go with the um, um, defense pairing of uh, Darnell Nurse and Ethan Bear, who played, I thought, monster minutes tonight. Uh, 28, 28 minutes for Nurse, 27 for Bear, basically. Uh, Darnell, I thought it was one of his better games in quite a while, frankly. Uh, uh, he had... Uh, uh, one or two issues, but uh, uh, nothing too serious. He was uh, the lone guy back on on a two-on-one though, on the three-two goal, but he made a number of real strong plays, a number of uh, defensive stops, uh, moved the puck okay, uh, got involved in the offense, had five shots on net, including a couple of real good ones, and made a just I thought super play in the last minute of the game to. Uh, uh, intercept the puck along the boards and make a pass over to uh, uh, to Shane to enable the jailbreak that resulted in the empty net goal. Uh, uh, for his part, Ethan Bear, man, he won a lot of puck battles and he, he sure uh, he's sure showing some composure out there, isn't he, for a rookie? I mean, th- there was one play where where uh, uh, Kevin Quinn was saying, well, Ethan Bear's got all kinds of time to make a play 
and he's taking it while the orders are making a change. And I'm saying to my wife, he's got all kinds of time because he just burned two kings in a row on the forecheck with great reverse moves that left them hit nothing but air while he walked away with the puck. Uh, he's got some very slick sort of in tight moves to to evade the the forecheck. And often he'll follow that up with a quick pass. But <clears> in that particular case, he had the time and he took it. And he's just showing to be more and more veteran savvy. And it's uh, it's quite exciting to think how good this guy is going to be in another year or two as he uh, as he gets uh, as he grows his game with the experience of you know just rep- repetition at the NHL level. As he grows his game to Duncan Keith-like proportions, Bruce. How about that? Well, I'm seeing him as the uh, I'm I'm seeing him as the, the the Jared Spurgeon of the Edmonton Oilers, and <laughs> that's a pretty good. that's a pretty high bar. Yeah. And you know, in an ideal world, he's the Brian Rafalski, you know, but he's just a a little guy, right hand shot, uh, but so smart and so uh, so mobile and so good with the puck uh, that. Uh, uh, he's in the right place way more often than not, and uh, uh, I mean, obviously, those those guys have long careers that we can look back on, and Ethan Bear doesn't yet, but uh, he's shaping up to be a heck of a player for Oilers. Yeah, there was only one moment I I didn't like them. Uh, Nurse, there was one moment in the halfway through the second period, Kings kind of bust up the middle of the ice, and um, Nurse was just he he gave up like. <laughs> He gave up so much gap on that play. It was he was just he was way halfway between the blue line and the Oilers goalie as the Kings are busting over the blue line, and then they were able to isolate Ethan Bear and mm-hmm. get a great A chance. So Nurse has got to be up on that play, like you know, wake up, my friend. Um, other they they did play a very strong game though, Bruce, and and so did Jones and Larson. Um, mm-hmm. Jones got I think two assists. He. He you did. know, I've commented before about him getting that shot on on net, able to get that shot through on net, and voila, got it on net, and Nuge scored. So, Jones a little more susceptible to pressure, uh, heavy forechecking pe- pressure. He'll cop the puck up, and he got absolutely. Well, I don't know why the expression is walked uh, by Adrian <laughs> Kempe because Kempe was doing anything but walking on the play. He just flew up He's and fast. Around. He looks like looks like Jones had good position on him, and Kempe just ducked his shoulder to the outside, and he went right around him, and uh, like a hoop around a barrel, as uh, Howie Meeker would say. And there's my mandatory 1920s sports reference <laughs> for this podcast. And and, and probably so maybe we'll maybe some Newfoundland some folk saying, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Hooper, right? hoop around a barrel. Yeah, I sure am. And yes, that is a Newfoundland folk saying. And Howie said a lot when uh-huh. when somebody walked around a defenseman. Howie, you could count on Howie to say like a hoop around a barrel in that uh, in that squeak of his. What does it even and, mean though? Come on, what a does hoop that around a barrel circles circles the barrel goes all the way around it. Just so oh. the hoop the hoop is what holds circling the, the barrel. That holds the barrel together. You oh, know, the metal. The, the metal yeah, hoop. Yeah. Okay. Oh, the actual hoop. The metal hoop. That and holds the boards holds together. The barrel. I've seen that mm-hmm. yeah, on, a, yeah. on a rain barrel. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, old-fashioned barrel for sure. I mean, we are talking Howie Meeker, and an expression, <laughs> an expression that might date back to the 1820s for all I know. But mm-hmm. anyway, uh, so Jones, um, Jones, Jones is a little behind Bear on the curve, but certainly you know lots of promising in his game tonight, including those two assists, of course. So uh, that can be. Well, I don't know. What's your good thing? Your turn. 
first, my good thing is th- there was something of a, a miracle in tonight's game. I don't think if we've ever, I don't know if this has ever happened before. It may never have happened before. N- never. But Dustin Brown got called with a penalty in Los Angeles. Oh. I know that, like, I know that you, you're going to have to pick your jaw off the floor right now. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that everyone listening to this is just their eyes are bugging out of their heads. And they, they're not believing, actually, what I just said. No one believes what I just said. But I, I'm pretty sure it happened. Dustin Brown actually got called for a penalty in Los Angeles. It was like, man, I don't know what else to say about it. Just amazing. So, yeah. Bruce, what is well, your... He stuck uh, a stick between somebody's legs and... Uh, was it Gaten Haas, who's proving to be a little bit of a penalty draw? I think that's three yeah. in the last two games that he's drawn. Anyway, uh, uh, yeah, or three last three games. But I always thought that was legal for Dustin Brown to do that in Los Angeles, Bruce. I didn't think that was it. A... Everything's legal for Dustin Brown. Yeah, I didn't think that was a penalty for him. So I, I you know, again, Shocking. I don't know what what went wrong. Something, you know, they the they got a, the league head office has to talk to the league officials about that because. You can't have that kind of thing going on in a game in Los Angeles. It's just wrong. All right, what is your bad thing, Bruce? Okay, I'm going to talk about something the, the league really does need to talk to the refs about. Connor McDavid, breakaway, goes in on goal, and mysteriously loses the puck as he's trying to deke the goalie. <laughs> as uh, Drew, the invisible man, Doughty, Comes in, sticks his stick in, and hacks McDavid either on the stick or on the on the wrist. Certainly got him right up in the hand area, forcing McDavid to lose the puck just as he was making his move. And Mr. Referee standing ten feet away, on the good side, where the reverse mm-hmm. angle was the great replay that showed the obvious foul by Doughty. And that's the side the ref was on. Like, what the hell is he looking at? It happens over and over and over again. I'm just sick of it as an Oilers fan. You know. Pfft. I mean, that's a penalty shot. It's not just a penalty, it's a penalty shot. And nothing. And it's like Drew Doughty can do no wrong. And he's got a long history of, of, uh, of uh, uh, what's, what's the word for it? Uh, deviant behavior against uh, McDavid. Getting like away with always, I mean, I remember elbowing McDavid right in the face one time in L.A. Missed that one, too. And uh, various chops and hacks on uh, scoring chances. And it's just like the man can do no wrong. And, and you know, they got to clean that up. McDavid was infuriated, and I didn't blame him because it's happened way, way, way too often. And yet, I don't know what it is. Anyway, uh, uh, that's... Uh, Hadn't an Euler picked up a ticky-tack foul in the neutral zone for, like, getting your hands on this? Oh, it was a slash, like a marginal slash from... Um... Mm-hmm. In the first period, who was that? Like, there was there, there was a really similar play. Archibald was it? Yeah, Archibald, where he just he hit him on the stick. You know, yeah. it was it was like but that's slashing. Yeah, the guy was so in if, the corner. No, nothing. Dang. It wasn't like league's best player on clear cut breakaway with everybody in the rink watching. Except how about the, the how about the Yamamoto? The guy grabs his hand, holds on to his hand, and wrenches him down to the ice or in the first period, no penalty. Bruce, one of the reasons the Oilers record has been so poor in LA has been the refereeing in LA. It's one of the reasons. Interpreting factor for sure. And I'm not saying it's the only reason. Obviously LA has been a good team and the Oilers have been a terrible team. And, 
Okay. But the Oilers would have won a few more of those games, but they can't get a break from the refs in, in Los Angeles. And and we're going to, it's Anaheim, it's California, but LA is the worst place. Anaheim's another bad one, of course. And we're going there uh, right away. Um, is it my bad thing now? Oh. I was trying to think. Oh, my bad thing, yeah. Bruce, that first period was almost unwatchable. It was so utterly boring. <laughs> it, was. it was just, it was, te- it was tedious hockey. It was the most boring ho- period of the year. Fortunately, Drysaddle scored right at the end of it. So usually, when, at the end of a long run of boring play in Los Angeles, um, they 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 get a screenshot on net that deflects in off something or someone and and they take the lead at the end of the first period. That's the usual first period in LA. But this one ended really swell with McDavid absolutely whipping a shot in. Or excuse me, dry subtle whipping a shot in off McDavid's pass. But other than that, man, that was that was a wretched period of hockey. And if the NHL was trying to sell that, yeah. no That's no one's go to games. Like- no one's gonna go to games because it's horrible hockey. That's Mc- you know, McClellan hockey isn't the best hockey, I don't think. Like honestly, Tom McClellan uh-huh. hockey isn't the most exciting hockey to watch. How about that, Bruce? Agree or disagree? Well, didn't I, now that he's in LA, it's horrible. <laughs> it was kind of horrible. Back, the last when, he had, two years back that, when he had McDavid, it was less boring. But uh, yeah, that was. I board. mean, I guess you give the Oilers some credit for being patient because the puck was yeah. not bouncing for them well, and they had to sort of recover and and they didn't do anything stupid and they didn't get burned. But the whole period seemed to be both teams regrouping all the time because nobody was ever making any progress and they weren't able to you know make clean passes and it was just dull 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 and and i was saying at the end of the first period uh you know imagine paying two or three hundred dollars for a ticket to watch this because it was just uh it it was hard it did pick up after that and it uh it grew into an okay hockey game uh nothing too great but it had its moments and yeah, the more more okay because the Oilers won and they really needed to win. Yeah, Benson yeah. Benson almost scored in the first. That was the other one one moment of excitement when Benson got that shot in the slot. Nice Bruce, pass uh, from Josh Archibald there. Yeah, what's your number, Bruce? Well, I'm going to go. I think with six, which is the number of shots on goal each from Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaddle tonight. And when you have those big guys pounding pucks on net, you know you got a pretty good chance that. Uh, uh, one or two of them are going to go in, and in fact, each of them potted a goal. Uh, sandwiching a goal by Ryan Nugent Hopkins is the big three looked after basically all of the scoring against uh, uh, against the netminder. Uh, but they were peppering him with uh, Calvin Peterson. Uh, they were peppering him with good shots, and, and uh, Leon in particular was very unlucky not to have a couple more goals than he did have. Uh, but you have those... Uh, uh, so the, the Oilers had the right guys. Like of the 31 shots they had, 15 of them came off the sticks of the big three. So, uh, and, and three of the goals. So that was uh, that was a big part of it. And, of course, the one goal McDavid did get was just an absolute gem. That probably should have been mentioned as <laughs> one of our good things. What a beauty. We see goals like that all the time, though, for McDavid. I mean, how often does Dustin Brown get a penalty in Los Angeles? I don't think it's true. ever, it's true. It's never it's happened. True, David. So, 
you got to focus on the bizarre, you know, yeah, that's part that's of true. And journalism yeah. school. That's one of the seven things they listed as newsworthy and the bizarre was one of them. So mm-hmm. I went to that lesson from the Carlton okay. School of Journalism tonight. So Bruce, the Oilers, uh, second now in their division, eh? Um, 73 points, Vegas 76, Vancouver 72. Okay, let's go to my number. Vegas hot, and they won again tonight in overtime in in, in Anaheim. Yeah, I'm not so sure. I don't I don't believe in the Vegas Knights. I don't think they're a very good team. So there you have it. Um, watch them beat the Oilers in the playoffs. Uh, so Bruce, I'm going to segue to our playoff segment with my number because I'm just going to go. So the Oilers acquired Mike Green, and this was um, Kurt Levins of the Cult of Hockey telegraphed this earlier today in a post. I think it was the first time that I can recall I'd seen Green mentioned in a kind of a serious trade rumor mm-hmm. to the Oilers. And Kurt nailed it this morning, telegraphed that totally. Um, and it came true tonight. The Oilers traded a conditional pick. If it's, uh, it's either a fourth rounder in 2020 or a, or a third rounder. Can't be this year though. Can it third rounder? Cause they've already given up. They no, already could. Give up their third rounder. Conditional third rounder in 2021. 21. Two conditions are met, which is the Oilers going to the conference finals and Mike Green playing at least half of those playoff games. Yeah. So So, otherwise it's a fourth this year because they don't have a third or they're almost certain not to have a third this year. The Oilers also moved Kyle Brodziak's contract in that deal. Nice. So Bruce, I've <coughs> excuse me, I've written a post about this already, and and in doing so, I went to Natural Statric, which I like to do to to see where Mike Green rates in terms of even strength scoring, and uh, you know, in terms of measuring offense, you know, the good old trusty point NHL point is a really great way uh, to measure contribution to offense. It, it misses the defenseman a little bit because you know they have to make the fourth assist on a play. Yeah. The, the third assist on a play, and they and they won't get credit for that. But it kind of hits most of them equally, although the more offensive-minded ones get hit a little bit harder. So this year, though, Green, who has been a good point scorer in the NHL, is not one this year. Um, he ranks out of 217 regular NHL D-men, and that's D-men who have played at least 300 minutes of even strength. He mm-hmm. ranks 181st out of 217. So the only uh, Oilers D-man who rank, ranks lower than that is um, Adam Larson, who ranks 196th out of 217. The good news, Bruce, for the Oilers is they've got uh, four players in the top 100. Nurse, 45th overall. Um, Benning, 48th. Bear, 68th. And Jones, 74th. So they have four D-men right in that very nice little area. Top 75 in the NHL for points. And you go back a few years, they might have had one guy in the top 100. Mm-hmm. That was it. And Clefbaum's at 101st um, out of 217. Russell is 153rd. So Clefbaum's right there too. Right. So essentially, they got five guys who are putting up points at a fairly good clip. Um, and Greens, this is <coughs> excuse me. This that's is even strength. Insurance. That, that's, that's even, even strength, strength, not power play. So Clefbaum so gets this, a ton on the power play. Yeah, he does. So this strikes me as a real depth move. I don't like he's green isn't a better player right now than Matt Benning, Adam Larson, or Ethan Bear on the right side. Now he's going to come in and probably bump Logason out of the lineup, though. You know, Logason struggled a little bit, I think. 
-hmm. again tonight there was a real one of the goals um I thought he got sucked over to Dustin Brown, who was kind of at the side of the net, and he, he forgot <laughs> there's Anze Kopitar right in front of the net, Loggison did, and, and Brown just chipped the puck to Kopitar, who scored. Loggison should have been in the middle of those two players. So, again, I think it was kind of a rookie mistake on his part, a bit of a positioning error. And um, I, I could see him coming out and maybe Benning moving over in the short term to the left side. Benning has played, I recall, a few games on the left side. Um, so maybe we'll see that. Maybe we won't. But I, I do think Green might immediately take on that role. And then we'll see what happens with Chris Russell. And um, there's some question about when Russell's coming back and then Clefbaum as well. What did you think of the deal? Well, Green's got a long history of scoring points, eh? but uh, uh, even as recently as last year, he scored 26 points in just 43 games, which is, you know, it's almost a 50-point season for the full 82 uh, the downside is he never plays the full 82. Uh, he's always he misses 10 or more games every season, and and sometimes more than that. This year he's only played 48, so he's already missed his 10 games. But he's only got <laughs> he's only got 11 points and a brutal minus 32 on a very very historically brutal Detroit Red Wings club. So all of that, uh, all of that kind of uh, of um, stat can be taken with a grain of salt because it's very much team driven and the team stinks the guys they rely on yeah but he's 21 minutes of ice time a game though he's a regular and he's still he's still playing steady ice time but his offense is very much dried up 11 points in 48 games we'll see what happens i mean he does uh he is a puck mover he's a very uber experienced power play uh uh, defenseman, he had 18 power play goals one year earlier in his career. You know, like there's a uh, a guy that's got the experience, but 34 years old. You know, like he's well on the downside of the of the journey. And you know what? His cap hit is 5.375 million dollars. But uh, Detroit is eating half of that, so the Oilers will only need to find room for 2.6 and change. And how Ken Holland's going to do that? Uh, I mean, the riddance of the Brodziak cr- contract makes for about 1.1 million in room, so he's, it increases the payroll by about 1.5. But uh, that's right down in the margin of what they could possibly have available. So uh, I'm not sure if they have to move out another contract tomorrow, or if they bring anything in, they're going to have to move something out to accommodate it. Like there, there's next to nothing left at this moment. Yeah, Bruce, I, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a, in terms of his value to the Oilers, like, I think his drop in play is real. Like, he's mm-hmm. 34. He's yeah. had a major drop in point production here. I think that's real. I don't mm-hmm. think we're, this isn't like, <laughs> this is who he is right now. That said, that said, and, and this partly comes from listening to the, again, the great book on Scotty Bowman that Ken Dryden just wrote. Toronto Maple Leafs of the 60s got a lot of mileage out of old veterans. They bring them in bring them in for the playoffs and crank them up, wind them up. St. Louis Blues, the Bowman coached in the late 60s, same thing. Wind them up for, you just need 10 games out of those guys. And suddenly they could find uh, youth in a bottle and, um, and play, um, play strong hockey again. So maybe we'll see that out of Mike Green. Maybe we'll be thinking, man... Maybe in a couple of months we're going to be saying, man, that was a great move by Ken Holland bringing in Green. He's just playing like he was 25 again. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we were saying that. 
Well, he just got let out of jail, didn't he? Yeah. So, uh, and apparently his he had a 10-team list of teams he could be traded to, and Edmonton was on the list. And I, probably the Ken Holland connection was part of why that was. But uh, no, he, I guess he wasn't Evan, on the, they weren't on the list. They, they, were, they, they were on the list of, got, of teams he could LeBron, be traded LeBron to. LeBron said he waived his list. Oh, okay. Then I, then I heard it wrong. Well, that's my understanding. Pierre LeBrun said he 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 waived the, his uh, no trade that he wasn't uh, wasn't on the original list at least, and then he waived it. So that's what. LeBrun yeah. Well, his list probably read something like this: "Get me the hell out of Detroit." <laughs> Anywhere but Ottawa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so uh, we'll see if this rejuvenates him uh, him any. But uh, this is a guy near the end. I'm thinking Rick Chartraw, 1984 Oilers territory uh, a forgotten member of the 84 Stanley Cup champions was the uh, multi-time Habs Cup winner well I'm but, hoping uh, he uh, wasn't uh, he wasn't an offensive player but he was at the sort of similar point at the tail end of his career that he was brought in for experience more than he was for for um, uh, day-to-day talent I'm hoping Rejo roots a line in 1990 Bruce but that's too much to hope for I'm good so okay, let's let's um, let's do uh, for the trade deadline. <clears throat> what's the most that you think they're going to do tomorrow, and what's the least that you think they're going to do? So we'll both do. Let's both start with most, and then we'll no. Let's both start with least, and okay. then we'll go to we'll go to the big bang at the end. The most. So what's the least that you think they're going to do tomorrow, Bruce? Nothing. <laughs> Keep it short and simple. That's the least that might happen. I frankly do expect that they are going to bring in Tyler Ennis. That's a name that's been bandied about quite a lot. Uh, he does have an affordable ticket at uh, $800,000. Uh, so they could, uh, by sweetening the pot somehow, they could uh, uh, they could move another contract out and bring bring him in and, and bring in some uh, uh, secondary offensive talent. But uh, for those thinking he might be the solution to McDavid's wing problem, uh, not so fast. Um, but so, well, that's what's what's your thought of the least before? Um, I well, the things. least again, you're right. Like it's nothing. Um, they could do nothing, but I don't. I don't think they're going to do nothing. <clears throat> I think we could see Jujar Kara traded away. Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't know. If, I don't know if Otto wants him, but you could. I could see them wanting him. Just to change the scenery, he's kind of a useful player, good penalty killer, physical player. Um, nice. We heard rumors from, uh, I think, Stoffer and Friedman on Friday that both Toronto and Boston were interested in Kara. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I could see Jujar Kara getting traded away. Um, I could see Ennis coming in and Ennis providing some depth, you know, third line depth, if nothing else, fourth line depth. Uh, <clears throat> could he play with McDavid and, and do well? Possibly. You know, he has scored in the past. He's he's scoring okay this year. So <clears throat> that, that that will be a smaller move. Would you agree? The Ennis yeah. thing isn't obviously a big trade. It's, he's not a top six winger. It's a stretch to see him that way. You know, Cassian's coming back. Neil's coming back. They're going to be McDavid's wingers most likely. But um, Ennis could possibly take... You know, he could take over from Neil if they wanted more speed there in the playoffs. Cassie and Ennis and uh, McDavid mm-hmm. would be a very fast line because Tyler Ennis, he can fly out there. So that would be that might be fun. Yeah, well, he is uh, 30 years old. 
uh, same age as Sam Gagne, and he has some things in common with Sam Gagne, which is to say a bunch of seasons in the 40-plus point range, never really exploded as, uh, a, you know, 50-plus point scorer at any stage. Um, but his scoring fell off the map in the first half of the decade. Uh, he averaged around 40 points a year. Uh, but in the last five years, uh, partly injury issues, but 11, 13, 22, 18. And then this year, 33 points is actually the most he's had in the last five seasons. So he's recovered probably his health first and foremost. And uh, whether he's found the fountain of use or he got, a, he got on a little hot streak there in Ottawa or whatever, his offensive numbers are actually pretty decent to this point, for especially for an $800,000 player. Did you Sorry. mute us? Okay. I, mute, I muted myself there. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> right. I was just hey, saying that. His lips are just, moving. <laughs> I was just reiterating, <laughs> reiterating what you were saying anyway. So, yeah, okay. I, the least the least could be nothing, but it could be moving care or Ennis. And both those would be, we'll see what happens there. Um, oh, my, uh, I was just trying to do a search on natural stat trick for Ennis is even strength scoring. I'll keep doing that. Bruce, what's the most that you think they might do? What's the biggest move that you think could well, happen? In, in an ideal world, you somehow spring a trade for a real like NHL quality scoring winger for McDavid. Ideally, a left winger. I mean, we know that Cassian is out there in purgatory, and but you know, soon to be uh, let out of jail and back into the lineup, and he's a right winger. Uh, and bound to go right back with McDavid. But uh, tonight, I mean, they have Sam Gagne, right shot, slow skating, former center uh, and right winger playing left wing on the McDavid line because, well, they don't really have that many options. So yeah. the order's left side is is uh, uh, outside of uh, converted center Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Uh, the orders don't have a heck of a lot on the left side at the current time. So going after a... Uh, a, a real scorer like uh, Thomas Tata would be uh, a real uh, a feather in uh, Holland's cap if he can figure out a way to do it. And the trouble is going to be how do you possibly fit one of those guys under the salary cap unless you convince him to take James Neal in return or something, right? And I can't quite see that happening. Well, you'd have to trade Chris Russell or Adam Larson, right? Like you'd have to move out a fairly large contract. So maybe maybe there's a uh, I don't see them trading Larson at this right. point, but maybe could they trade Kara and Russell like and a and a draft pick, and, you know, like and Pulleyarvi like and a prospect, yeah, yeah. It would take certainly take a package, and then beyond the package, then you have to solve the uh, contract uh, salary cap thing. So I'm not very optimistic, but they. Uh, um, that you know, that's sort of the upper end thing is somehow springing a scoring winger. I guess I it could be Manning and Gagne's contract. Like there's another big couple contracts. Yeah, well that that I mean that just raises the price tag, right? <coughs> yeah. That the other team is taking a couple of bad contracts, giving up a good player. So you add all those things together, and the cost just goes up and up and up. So. We'll see. I'd be very surprised if Brandon Manning goes anywhere. I don't think he's. I think he's on everyone's ten-foot pole list. Yeah, you're probably right about that, Bruce. 
So Tatar, is that who you got your uh, hopes? Yeah, someone along along those lines. I mean, Kreider is. I I don't think no. he's possible. And I mean, ideally, they get someone that had you know another year on his pact or something, so it's not uh, a strictly a rental. And Holland has indicated he would give up his first rounder for someone who's not strictly a rental. But if it's a highly paid player, you know, it's a it's a mixed blessing. Like the guy's got to cover the bet on his contract. Yes. Or the other team has, or the other team has to retain. But I don't see why Montreal would be doing that unless the pot coming back was very sweet indeed. Yeah. Let's just have a look here. Uh, I've just done the search now. I I like. I guess Anthony Athanasio sat out tonight's Mm -hmm. game, Bruce, uh, in Detroit as well. Not just Mm -hmm. Green. Right. And uh, that would be a very interesting player, if you ask me, obviously, because he's so fast. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to see him. So let me just do a couple searches here, and I'll tell you where these guys rank. Because I'm gonna, we're going to look at their even strength point scoring, because they're unlikely to play on the order's power play, correct? Most, li- most likely unlikely, yes. So Tatar ranks 29th overall in the NHL. Athanasio ranks... oh. So he's only ranking 237th, and he's on a one-year deal, $3 million. He's mm-hmm. an RFA. So yep. if you're trading for him, he's you have yep. him locked up a bit and uh, might be able to get him. What's Kreider at? And they're not getting Kreider, of course, 74th. Um, what do you think of Athanasio? Uh, I think there's a, a lot of talk about the guy like people are really really obsessed with his speed uh i've never been that impressed with him like he creates chances and he doesn't necessarily finish a whole lot of them uh his mind you again this is the detroit syndrome but what is he like minus 50 or something now i mean <laughs> yeah. he was well he's he's intending in that direction because uh he was uh deep into the minus 40s the last time i looked and they lost again tonight to Calgary, so who knows. But, uh, um, again, like plus minus at the best of times is, uh, uh, you know, a landmine, landmine territory. Yeah. And when you're talking about an extreme team, whether really good or really bad, uh, it'll catch players in the net that uh, makes them look better or worse than they really are, depending on the quality of the team they're surrounded by. So... Uh, which is a criticism I know you've had of the type of stat for a long, long time. Yeah, well, I'm not alone in that. Nope. What about Mike Hoffman? I like Hoffman. Man, now there is a shooter. Like, that's a guy that if you, you put him on McDavid. Like, I'm less about adding speed to McDavid's line. You know what? McDavid's line has speed. It has yes. McDavid. Right, you want complementary players. Why does a complementary player have to have that same skill? I want a complementary player that can take a sweet McDavid pass and bang in the net, and that is Mike Hoffman. Now, whether Florida would be uh, convinced to give him go without a sweet basket of uh, picks and prospects going their way, I have my doubts. But uh, he's a guy that would fit the mold for sure. Yeah, Florida. Um, they're in the Atlantic, are they? Um, yeah. Or the Metropolitan. Um, they're just oh. two points behind 
Toronto. They're right there in the playoff hunt, so they'd want something back that in terms of real player. I think. Yeah, I don't see them moving Hoffman and. Yeah, I can see. So I uh, actually, if you look at the teams likely to trade someone, the Rangers might not want to trade anyone. They're right in the hunt, but Buffalo, Montreal, and New Jersey are kind of the only teams over there that, you know, are obviously sellers. So um, could be pretty limited. I I I'm starting to lean towards them not doing much at all here. You know, Montreal are they? I guess Montreal should be a seller. They're, they're pretty much out of it. Yeah. So maybe maybe they'll make a move. Um, How about but, Montreal uh, lo- playing Detroit four times this year and losing uh-uh. all four games? And Detroit something like 11 and 45 in all their other games and 4 and 0 against Montreal. How frustrating, <laughs> how frustrating would that be to a Habs fan? Yeah. Already, <coughs> excuse me, well, it's uh, late night already. Let's leave it there, Bruce, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. We'll be doing a podcast, I'm sure, tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll be uh, we'll be following the trade deadline with uh, with interest. Yeah. Anas Athanasiu, in addition to being a very difficult name to pronounce, minus forty five, with ten with ten goals in forty six games. Oh, so he's, he's only yeah, like he missed a bunch of times. So he's basically a, a minus per game uh, player, which is uh, pretty horrendous. But uh, again, I have not explored. Uh, the nature of those, uh, how many of them are actual five-on-five five and so on. But uh, uh, he's a player I'm fairly leery about, let's put it that way. You'd anyway, be buying low, Bruce. You'd be buying low. <laughs> let's see what happens. Let's see what happens tomorrow, as you say, and we'll, I'm sure, be talking some more then. Yeah. All right. Thanks for talking, Bruce. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>